Welcome to the Wounds of the Faithful podcast, brought to you by DSW Ministries. Your host is singer, songwriter, speaker, and domestic violence advocate, Diana Winkler. She is passionate about helping survivors in the church heal from domestic violence and abuse and trauma. This podcast is not a substitute for professional counseling or qualified medical help. Now, here is Diana. Please welcome Laura Padgett to the show today. Thank you so much for being here and taking time out of your schedule. I'm excited. I'm excited to talk with you. We have so much in common. We do. I get to geek out today on dancing and uh, talk about some wonderful memories. And um, so it's going to be a little bit different than my, my normal show. So Let's start with giving the folks a snapshot of your ministry. What do you do? Well, what I have done, uh, of course, this was pre-COVID, and now things are <laughs> opening up again, and we're going to be able to hopefully do the things, uh, some of the things we do. My background is in dance, and so I know you want to talk about that a little bit, but one of the ministries that I've had over the last several years, goodness, maybe 15 years, has been to teach sacred dance, teach mm -hmm. praise dance, teach dance for prayer and praise and worship in um, churches, retreats, various gatherings around the country, and one in Canada, which was really fun many years ago, and to offer the idea that dance, movement, however you want to see it, um, is a place where we can commune with God by using our whole self, including our bodies. So that ministry, which is what I am educated in as well, my master's degree is in um, moving in worship, basically storytelling of our faith through movement. And that particular ministry, um, I'm hoping to start again in the small town that I moved to last year. That's one ministry. The other ministry is in writing, and I've written and published two books and also mm -hmm. been really blessed to have some pieces written and published in things like Chicken Soup for the Soul and some Christian online magazines and things like that. So those are my two big ministries. And from there, I also have opportunities or had opportunities, hope to have some more, to speak about um, people's abilities to find uh, their giftedness, no matter who they are, no matter where they've been, and to use those gifts for the glory of God. Wow. I, I don't think I've met anybody with a master's degree in dance and body movement. Is that what you said? Well, it isn't actually a master's in dance. I wanted to do that, but I was not available at the university where I was attending. So I portfolioed that particular piece, the dance piece, because of my uh, years of experience as a dancer. But um, it's I wanted to know how to tell the stories of our faith and to teach others how to tell the stories and their journeys. So I did the storytelling sort of track for creative writing, which is a little different than just, you know, doing creative writing, which is also fine. But for storytelling, the work was centered a little bit more on uh, delving into the authenticity of the storyteller, whether you're telling fiction or nonfiction. And while I took those classes, and I ended up taking classes like 
um, structure of the novel, being able to sustain plot, looking at character development, the flow of the story. Now, see, what I found was that's all just like dance, isn't it? I mean, mm -hmm. you have a rhythm, you have a pattern, you have a beginning, a middle, and end. And in most, most dances, you are telling story of some sort. Mm-hmm. So wow. that's what it was. It's called storytelling through creative movement. And, and then I did an actual emphasis in teaching liturgical or sacred dance. That sounds so beautiful. And um, we were talking um, beforehand and my background, you know, I, I danced, I did ballet and partner dancing and ballroom dancing I think I did some jazz, but um, I did that up to college, and I really loved it. And then when I went to Bible college, and I went to a Baptist Bible college, um, there was no dancing allowed. It sure. was like a hard stop. <laughs> There's no dancing allowed, so <laughs> I, I definitely missed it. Yeah. You know, I'm no longer in that in that circle anymore of of people or influence. But it really is a shame that that people have that view of dancing that it's you know all forms of dance are are evil or flashy or um, not spiritual. Uh, dance is very spiritual, I think. I agree with that. I agree with that. And I think the other thing about dance for me was the body image in this particular part of the world. I don't know. If, I can't say that it's true everywhere. I haven't lived anywhere but the United States. But what I have noticed is we are so obsessed with a certain idea of what body looks like. And that being told to you as a young person, um, a girl, I'm going to have to say it's a girl. I, I was never a boy. And so having that just sort of come to you through message after message puts put me into a place where I really didn't believe my body was an acceptable part of me. Mm. And coming into the holy, moving into the holy, which was the first book I wrote, it's, it's about uh, sacred dance and the research that had been done on, on the people, even people like Isadora Duncan and people like that who were experimenting with sacred dance. The freedom to now take your body as well as your soul and your mind and your heart into the presence of God for the purpose of praise, that freed me to say, hey, I'm not so bad. I'm, I'm okay. And uh, <laughs> I always tell my dancers, um, because I hear a lot of that from especially lady dancers who say, well, you know, I, I didn't have the ballet body and my feet are big and my tush is a little bit this or I'm too heavy or I'm too skinny or whatever. Mm -hmm. And I say, oh, no, 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 no. God has your picture on his refrigerator. Mm -hmm. And to him, you are on point. To him, you are a metalist. And it doesn't matter if you can do the steps well, because art does not live in the feet. Art lives in the heart. And that's Amen. for him. Yeah. Amen. I love that. Um, I definitely didn't fit a ballet body either. You know, I always had a, the big butt and the uh, chest heavy and next to the, you know, really skinny girls. Um, mm -hmm. I always felt like an elephant in the <laughs> elephant in tights. And, but I loved it so much that I just, I just ignored what everybody said about me. I just yeah. loved yeah. it so much. Yeah. But, um, 
Now, did you always have this love affair with dancing? What um, what kind of upbringing did you have in your childhood and stuff? Well, I tell the story of my childhood because it's such an important place for me to start in terms of praising God for telling me I was okay no matter where I'd been. I am a child of two alcoholics, grew up in a family where uh, very active alcoholism And again, the self-image coming out of something like that, anybody who's lived around addicts um, sometimes are wonderfully charming, delightful, and sometimes not so much. And then I think in my case, I came out of that understanding, I was a kid of the 50s and 60s, believing that um, I just wasn't good enough. I was, I was the reason why so many things fell apart in my family of origin, another piece of, of the child of addiction, addicted parents in the addicted home. And that took many years for me to unravel. But I can tell you this, that yes, I was always dancing and I was always watching shows like Ed Sullivan, people like Julia Prowse and um, those amazing dancers, the mm-hmm. dance troops. Okay, Lawrence Welk. Hello. Yes, I, I love Lawrence yeah, Welk. I love Lawrence Welk. And uh, what was it? Bobby and, was it Barb and Bobby or Bobby and Sissy? Yes, somebody like that. Bobby and they Sissy. They just totally blew me away. The steps and the synchronization, a word I didn't know as a child, of course. Mm-hmm. But the, the flow and the the beautiful teamwork. Mm. So yes, and I was always dancing. I was always dancing. I was in high school. I was pom-pom girl. And we were the little dancers and I did a lot of choreography for the team and uh, loved, just loved moving to the music and to the, even just to the drumbeat. So it always has. And my mother used to always get kind of jumpy with me. She'd go, Laura, sit down. I think you have St. Vitus dance. I don't know what St. Vitus dance was, but it was apparently some neurological disease that was not desirable to have on our resume. So, but here's the deal, Diana, my parents were ballroom dancers, Mm. weren't they? And they went out and they danced a lot. And they told many stories of that. My aunt, who I talk about a lot in one of my books, she was a competitive ballroom dancer, a competitive square dancer. So Mm. yeah. It's there. Plus, I'm a Celt. My mother was Scottish and Irish. So the people from the Celtic states would dance. I mean, we just don't know now. We don't know how not to. We just uh-huh. dance. <laughs> so, so that's it. And that's where I, yeah, got into dancing. But the uh, love affair has always been there. Every time I hear a song, I will see a dance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, every time. Every time. Yeah, I loved watching um, Solid Gold dancers. I grew up in the 80s, so Solid oh, Gold dancers yes. and Star Search and yes. um, oh, who else was on? Um, Fame, I used to watch. And, you know, my favorite movies are, were Flash. Um, um, oh, I the loved Flash it. Yes. Dance, Dirty Dancing, and Footloose, you know. <laughs> I know. You know, all those wonderful, wonderful shows, of course, musicals, because I'm, you know, a musician and absolutely wanted to be in Broadway and wanted to do all those, um, all those shows. But um, yes, lots of reminiscing here. (laughs) (laughs) What style of, or styles of dancing have you done? There's, there's so many. There are. 
I've tried just about all of them. I have to tell you, um, even as a young person, I, I was in the clubs. Uh, we had different clubs in Denver. And at 18, you could get in. Certainly, you couldn't drink alcohol, which was fine with me. Uh, that wasn't my interest. But I was always dancing club dancing, you know, whatever the popular dances were at the time. And when I was, oh, let's see, I'm going to say 40, in my 40s, I became ill with uh, chronic fatigue syndrome and mm-hmm. Sjogren's syndrome. These are kind of serious. But what they do is they leave you so tired and wrung out. And my doctor said, I think you need to find a form of exercise. And I was like, oh, right. I can't even get out of bed in the morning. You want me to go exercise? And he said, I want you to find a form of exercise. So I bought the, remember that set, uh, buns of steel, teeth of steel. Yes, I have that. (laughs) I know. And I thought this is about as much fun as a root canal without anesthesia. (laughs) So I just couldn't get into it. So I sat down one night and I saw Riverdance on channel Mm. six on one of their uh, begathons. And I went, oh, I want to do that. And of course, my husband and my son looked at me and went, "Uh aha, okay. So I found lessons (laughs) and I went to learn Irish step dance. I went in my 40s to learn Irish step dance. But I also, at that time, found a studio in Golden, Colorado, which is where I was living. And I learned tap dance and clogging. I never did uh, jazz very much, but I did tap dance. I did clogging. But my love was Irish. My love was Irish. And mm. I went on to do many performances, many competitions between 45 and 60. And in my, I'm going to say mid-50s, I medaled. I took a gold medal in uh, Irish step dance at the Highland Games in Estes Park. Oh, wow. So anybody who's familiar, I know, right? And there were lots of people who said, oh, She's the only reason she got it is because she's old enough to buy the beer for the judge. Uh, (laughs) It's very, very competitive, but I think they were teasing me, but I worked hard. I had a studio in my basement. My husband built me a studio with the mirrors and the suspended floors. Mm -hmm. And I worked, worked, worked. And I walked off that day with the gold. And I'll tell you, that was my last competition. And, but it was not my last performance. I performed for many years after that. And I taught, I taught it. I still do occasionally. Right before I left Denver, I was really blessed to teach the song Days of Elijah by the brilliant wow. Robin Mark. And I taught Days of Elijah with an Irish step dance to 13-year-olds and wow. taught them how to do these patterns. And it was soft shoe, not the hard shoe, but it was a soft shoe. And these kids loved it. Mm. And their parents loved it. And I hope they're still doing it, but I don't I don't know if they are. It was a traditional dance school, but it was a school that taught uh, praise dance from mm. ballet and mm. jazz and lyrical and these things, even tap, I believe. But this just fit right in because if you ever listen to the original recording of Days of Elijah, it is a brilliant Irish step dance. And, is that um, like on YouTube or something? Um, Robin Marks, I think, um, I would look up either iTunes or YouTube, Robin Marks live in Dublin. And I don't remember the year, but I can send you that if you want me to. And boy, it is something else. And those kids just loved it. And of course, you know, behold, he comes riding on the cloud and these kids have their hands in the air and we're doing Irish dance. It was so much fun. So that's the last class I taught, but you never know. I never say never. 
Right. That that sounds amazing and yeah. um probably one of your one of your favorite memories. What other memorable performances yeah. do you um do you have? Well, boy, oh boy, oh boy. I did think a lot about this question. So I'm going to pick two. One of them is from my uh, sacred dancing. And I would say it's when I talk about uh, my mother's wedding ring, which you also sent me that question. We're going to talk about that. And the healing I received through telling the story of this ring and the forgiveness after her death, and then dancing to El Shaddai by Amy Grant. Um, So I have done this in churches. I've done it in retreats. I've done it in workshops and taught, you know, you're the one who always sees the outcast on her knees. And that's when I began to really forgive my mom and um, yeah, put that past behind me and yet draw from it for the authenticity of ministering to others who have been hurt also. And uh, that's one. And El Shaddai is one of my very favorite, very favorite dances that I've done. The second one, I'm going to pull from my secular portfolio, and it's called Masked, M-A-S-K-E-D, Masked. And I did it as a mime to the sound of silence. Mm. And And in the dance, I can't really paint the picture for you, but in the dance, it was not the Simon and Garfunkel rendition, which is a little slow, but it was actually done by a group called Disturbed. And it's oh, very- Oh, I know that version. Yes. Oh, yes, my it's a little darker. Very dark yeah. and guttural. Yes. And the little mime is trying to, to show the pain of being in silence. And of course, the mime is silent. And um, the parts where people are- uh, going back and forth and, you know, a thousand people walking all the, these different ways and they're kind of pushing her around and she, they, nobody will pay attention to her and she just wants to be heard. And the, the sound of silence is, is, is crippling. It's, it's deafening. And she keeps trying to get people to understand and to open up their hearts and ears. And of course, that's that's the whole song if you listen to it. And in the very end, she really just sort of falls to her knees and gives up. Mm. But there's a wonderful ending to that rendition. And in that, two little kids come out dressed as mimes and grab her hands to say, we heard you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's wow. probably one of my favorites. And because we all walk around in masks, don't we, to a point? And yet not with the father. The father says, come to me, take off that mask. And that's what I talk about in one of my stories about it too, that's in one of my books. And it's taking that mask off and sitting on his lap in our authenticity and saying, why that's better. (laughs) So those are two of my favorites. Mm -hmm. So I wonder if, um, if we could see that on, uh, on YouTube, if it's out there in the universe, because I'm very familiar with that version. In, oh, um, I'd love uh, to do it. I would love to do it sometime and actually wanted to write to him, uh, to the guy who sings it, um, the lead singer. Mm-hmm. I didn't quite know how to do it if you write to Dear Mr. Disturbed, but <laughs> you know, I didn't know how to do that. But it, I do have a video of it somewhere because it was videoed for the the group, the troupe I was dancing with at that particular time. So I don't know if I have it somewhere, but I know it had a lot of 
silence in the audience and tears mm. as they, they felt sorry for the mime. But I think they also began to see the mime was telling them, you know, how malignant silence is. Mm. Yeah. I think, you know, reaching out to the, to the artist, I don't know his name either off the top of my head. I, I think that they would be really um, touched that you used their song for such a powerful thing. Well, maybe we'll do that and maybe yeah. we'll find a studio somewhere where we can, because it has to be very dark and, and it's a very dark piece, but yeah, we'll see. Yeah, I bet they would go for that. I'm just, that's my first impression of them anyway. Um, They're pretty cool. They're pretty cool people. They really are. So you have, you've mentioned about your your mother's wedding ring Mm -hmm. and that there is a a riveting story behind that. So can you share, can you share about that? Oh, I'd love to. Um, It's such a powerful story of healing. And for people who have come from what I came from, um, I offer this in oftentimes in recovering communities too. I do a lot of speaking with the recovering communities around Colorado and, well, I did before COVID. Now I, I'm hoping that'll open again because telling our stories is one way to help others walk into more healing. I didn't see my mom for 10 years before she died because she abandoned us. She left our family. My father was dead. He died of a brain tumor when I was 16. And my mother, um, God love her. She just, you know, her disease was stronger than her commitment to her family. I believe, and I could be wrong, but she left and moved to Arkansas. And I never heard anything from her. I tried to find her. I couldn't find her. And um, she never met her only grandson, my, my son, Gabriel. And so I had a lot of resentment. Yeah, I was, yeah, angry. And even as a Christian, I felt justified to be angry with this mm-hmm. woman. So she died. And the nursing home where she was living in Arkansas chased me down. <laughs> and they sent me a box of her belongings, along with her ashes, after they cremated her. And in there was this ring, and I'm showing you this ring. Mm. This is my mother's wedding ring. It's, a, I think, probably the engagement ring. There was a band, I'm sure. And they sent this to me. Well, I thought, are you kidding me, God? Why would I want that piece of junk? And I just put it away. And then, for some reason, God compelled me to take this ring out and to put it uh, in a jewelry shop and ask him to fix it. So I went to a jewelry shop, kicking and screaming, because God has children like me who learn no early and use it frequently. And so I was not on the bus with this, but we went, me and the ring and God, and we popped into this jewelry store and I asked this guy, can you fix this thing? And I mean, the tines were all twisted and oh, it was just a mess. And he said, oh, I don't think so. He said, that's pretty you know, that's that that's probably too far gone to be restored. But his wife came around said the counter and said, well, whose ring was it? And I said, it was my mother's. And she said, where is she? I said, she's gone. She's passed away. She said, well, I think we can fix this. So you could kind of tell, you know, who has run in the store. <laughs> but this man, this man was so sweet. And he said, well, I can't get to it right now. This is Valentine's weekend. You know, it's my busiest week. I'll call you if I can fix it when it's done. So he called me a month later on March 9th. And he said, "Um, your ring is ready if you'd like to come pick it up. So I went in. And the thing about my mom was she had these green eyes, these 
Irish green eyes that sparkled whenever she was talking about dance or, or when she was sober and, and happy. And one of the things I noticed when I walked up to that ring and looked at it is the way it sparkled. And I went, whoa, that's interesting. And I said, the man said, I'm so sorry it took me so long to get it to you. I said, that's okay, because today is March 9th, and that's my mom's birthday. And he said, oh, uh-huh. And, and he said, it's a beauty, isn't it? I said, yes, it is. Yes, she was. And I put on my ring, uh, my ring on my finger, and I heard he moved away to talk to another customer. And I heard the Lord very clearly say, it's time to forgive. It's time to learn about the disease and understand what she was going through and to forgive. So I said, happy birthday, mom. I love you. I forgive you. I hope you can forgive me too. Mm. And I've worn this ring just about every single day since then. And when I die, when I, you know, transition out of this particular dancing temple, I believe, well, I have willed it to my uh, only blood granddaughter. And I believe with all my heart that God will answer my prayers, that Miss Sophia will see herself and the glitter and shine in herself and others. And I pray that she will never see herself as too damaged to be restored. Mm. Is Sophia a dancer? You know, Sophia is many, many artists in one. She's a little painter, and she likes to sing and write. Oh, wow. And once in a while, I, I think she dances, but she's crazy about swimming. Mm. The child just loves to swim, so who knows? But you never know. But she's she may try it someday, but that doesn't seem to be her art choice right now. Yeah. And she knows the story behind the ring, I'm sure. No, but Not she yet. will. She will. she will. Her mother does. Yeah. And her dad does. So, yeah. She's how old now? 13. Ooh. <gasps> I remember so, when I was 13. Yes. It's so exciting. Hold and on for the ride. <laughs> yeah. I know. I know. <laughs> yeah. Oh, she sounds wonderful. So that's yeah. the ring. And, the, and, the, and uh, I, that is a story I've written that was in... Uh, that's been published by a Christian, uh, a Christian anthology called Letters to America. And then it's also in my, my second book of a short story collection, yeah, about Mama's Ring. And we talk mm -hmm. a lot about forgiveness um, yes. you know, on the podcast and with my, mm. my healing groups. Um, how did that feel when you made the choice to forgive? I mean, was it easy? I mean, did you feel warm fuzzies or was it, you know? It felt like the right time. And I think this is a huge misunderstanding that we have in our faith base, that because we're told to forgive, we're just supposed to do that. But I'm not really sure how that looks when you have such deep wounds, because I think the healing... There are people who say forgiveness first, then the healing, healing first, then the forgiveness. I don't know, and I'm not an expert on that. But what I do know is it took, it was like an iceberg broke mm. and it started to flow away. And in into my heart came flowing of forgiveness that then allowed me 
to learn more about the disease of alcohol, to minister more to people who have been in that situation, and to continue to heal myself. Because forgiveness is just, it is a, a wonderful, it's a wonderful healing balm. But if it is not authentic, and if it is not accompanied by authenticity, I'm not really sure it's valid. And I believe also those of us that have come from these homes where, or any kind of a wounded environment, wound producing environment, there is a huge difference between forgiveness, which is reconciliation, and reunion. Yes. If my mother were still alive and still drinking and still doing the destructive things she did, I could still love her. And I could still be reconciled in terms of that forgiveness, but I could never subject myself or my family, my little boy, to that. No. Sometimes we have to make a choice. Sometimes it's not easy. But for our own sanity, our own safety, and honoring of ourselves, the forgiveness has to come with the authenticity of saying, I love me too. And my wounds are healing to where I don't feel I have to be subjected to abuse of any sort on any level. Right. And I had to just do that today with someone who refuses to accept a boundary mm. and continues to send stuff to me on Facebook I don't want to see. Um, and I, yeah, so I, I just had to set that boundary again with her and hope mm. that she will honor it because sometimes other people's agendas, whether they're abusive or not, can be so ridiculously pushed upon us, and that's a terrible sentence for a writer, I just don't know how else to say it, that we feel smothered. And then sometimes we just give in because we want to avoid that abuse. We want to avoid and we want to please people. And those are things that my recovery has taught me are not good tools for staying healthy. Mm -hmm. mm. So yes. I, I had to just do that today. And I'm, I'm hurting a little from it because it's a sister. But you know what? God never calls us to be in unhealth. No, he does not. Mm -mm. Right. I'm, I'm so glad that you said all those things. And you say it in such an eloquent way, such a difficult topic. And I know you didn't really get any way to talk to your mother before she died or get any no. closure. So that's kind of hard to forgive somebody that isn't there anymore. Right. Um, yeah. But you can still do it, you know. Yes. Because forgiveness is about the person offering forgiveness. It is not about the person who is the intended recipient. Sometimes they'll throw it right back in your face. Yeah. And other times, if you're expecting them to turn around and say, well, I'm sorry for what I did too, that's a conditional forgiveness. So forgiveness has to be offered in some ways, Diana, in some ways, that was the best way it could have happened because I had no expectations that I'd get a hug and a warm fuzzy, I'm sorry too. Mm. It wasn't going to happen. Mm. No. Yeah. Um, all throughout the Bible, God... Uh, required repentance to get forgiveness. Um, John the Baptist came and said to repent and for the forgiveness yeah. of your sins. Jesus said to um, the people yeah. around them, you know, repent and 
your sins, your sins are forgiven, you know, go and sin no more. So we shouldn't feel bad if that person doesn't ever ask us for forgiveness. Sometimes it doesn't come or they, like in your case, they pass away and you don't ever get that closure, but it is a gift that you can give yourself. Hey, I'm not going to let this person live in my brain rent free and destroy me. I'm going to, I'm going to go on with my life and, you know, in the Lord's grace and power. And that's a beautiful thing. Amen. Yes, it's it's a saying of do not give the key to your happiness to someone else's pocket. Yes. <laughs> or as another way I always like to say it is don't put other people's stuff on your credit card. <laughs> wow, I never heard it that way before. I'm gonna have to steal that. Take it. Take it. I don't even know where it came from. It's not mine. But uh <laughs> I yeah, I always tell you, oh, that's mine. I said that. But um those I've I've seen those two in recovering circles and just don't put anybody else's stuff on your credit mm -hmm. card. Mm -mm. You have such Me a too. Um, such a such uh, word pictures that um, uh, I really enjoy. I guess it's the writer in you, <laughs> storyteller. I think, yeah, yes, yeah, yeah. which comes naturally again from the Celts and from the Italians. My father was Sicilian, and oh yes, oh yes, he was a wonderful storyteller. Happy, happy stories, and a little bit goofy sometimes, but you know, that that comes with that ethnicity, I think, because I'm I'm Irish and Italian so, and Scottish, so I just say, hey, <laughs> here we are. Yeah, it's awesome. And we kind of touched on um, the spiritual mm -hmm. part of dancing, and you know, we we read about in the Bible about. David dancing before the Lord. And so that's that's something I always bring up to the anti-dancers. It's like, well, what about these passages where they use dancing to worship God, not not twerking, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, or or booty shaking. It was, you know, using their bodies to worship God. And so how can we connect with God ourselves with dancing? Well, the first thing I think is um, there are other reasons people don't like to dance. My husband is a, his Oklahoma farm boy, and <laughs> to him, <laughs> he's only danced once in his life, and that was with me at uh, his son's wedding, gosh, 25 years ago. Wow. And, um, and it was one of those things where he was planted, and I was just kind of moving around him, and he was just like, mm, mm, I, don't, I hate this. And uh, so there are people who just simply don't want to dance. There are people mm -hmm. who don't want to play basketball. There are people who do not like shrimp. I mean, the personal preference must be honored in each individual. And I don't think it has anything to do necessarily with uh, spirituality or non-being spiritual. Now, I will say this. This is my story. Um, when I first wanted to do this, I was in a church and the pastor said, absolutely not. And I talk about that on my blog in a piece called Little, uh, Little Drummer Girl, because I, I couldn't imagine why they wouldn't let us do this. So I went to one of my mentors. Her name was Paula Douthat. Paula uh, had a group in, in uh, Boulder, and I danced with her for many years. And she said, never, ever burn a bridge. Mm. Say to your pastor, okay, that's just fine. And, and move on. Because if God wants it there, it will be there. In the meantime, 
I continued to find outlets like with this group in Boulder and at Regis University where I danced in services and various places. God, I would ask God, can just show me where and how and who? And he did. But not everybody's going to want to connect with God that way. And that's just wonderful for them because, you know, it's all about our own identifications with the holy. That's the thing. And I think if you really want to connect with God with dancing, just put on your favorite hymn and start moving around. You know, if you have to pull the curtains, that's fine. You know, do whatever. But just, I tell people, when you are a secular dancer, performance is about you mm. as a dancer, your merit, um, your ability, the precision, the perfection. But when you are with God, Everything like that falls apart. Just imagine yourself as a little child in his arms, like the little girl at the wedding with her daddy. And open, just open your heart, and the feet of your heart will move. That will move. And uh, know that you're accepted and loved. He doesn't care what your body type. He doesn't care about your age. I don't believe he cares whether you can take, you know, one step and then the other. I believe that offering our bodies in this way can be another level of saying, here I am, all of me, good and bad, warts or not. And he's going to say, yeah, I, I think you're really cool, dude. <laughs> That's what I think. And so it's a matter of if you desire it, it will be there. <laughs> I think so. Yeah. And remember, Miriam danced too, right? That's right. Yeah. And, and there was the thing. You see, David, Miriam, this was about joy. It yes. was not about an art of dance or writing or playing a, a tambourine or taking off all your clothes. This was about <laughs> joy that could not be contained. Just couldn't be contained. And so uh, the little dancers just, boom, just out. And if, if you ever see messianic dance, the oh, people, beautiful. oh, yes, I've danced with so many messianic teams and I love, love, love their, their music and their stories and their steps. Yeah. yeah. The other thing about dancing for God is it's usually very simple. I, to me, I teach simple when I'm teaching um, praise dance because then you don't have to worry about the step. Oh, am I crossing over? Oh, am I on the beat? Oh, am I on the right? All you worry about, you don't worry about anything. You just walk into that. You move into that holy space and move. That's all. And he'll do the rest. He's the, he's the leader. I'm, you know, I always tell people, I'm not the artist. I'm the canvas. Mm. That's a different way of looking at it. Well, that way, if they don't like the product, they can blame somebody else. No. <laughs> it's like, talk to the boss, will you? No. I, I, I really, I feel that way with my books. I feel that way with writing and speaking. I feel that way. I, it's up to him to produce through me whatever it is he's trying to communicate. Mm. So dance is just one way he uses that, I think. Mm -hmm. That's right. I, my first husband was a, um, an Italian and we went to a lot of weddings, mm. Italian weddings, and we had a, my my father and mother-in-law did ballroom dancing, and so did um, the rest of my in-laws. And you you hit the nail on the head. If somebody wants to dance, they should be able to dance. And 
If they don't want to dance, then then no. And I look back on my my first my first marriage, and I I didn't dance because the church said that you know it was wrong. And even on our wedding day, we weren't able to dance to celebrate our marriage. Now it, it turned out to be a, an abusive marriage, but we didn't get to do any of that. And I um I brought it up to the pastor and they said, well, we, we can't allow any dancing because um, then there are other people that are going to dance inappropriately and, you know, they're mm-hmm. going to be bumping and grinding and whatever. And I said, you know, my in-laws, they, you know, they're big band era people. They, they do the foxtrot and they, um, yeah. they dance mm-hmm. all kinds of, you know, partner dancing and there's, there's nothing lewd going on. And I remember going to other other Italian weddings and they did the thing where they lift the bride and the groom up on the chair and they're dancing around the room. And yeah. I remember yeah. my, my husband's cousin, you know, he was a really good dancer and he, he put his hands out to me to come and dance with him. And I really, really wanted to. And I wanted to dance with my, my father-in-law and dance with my uh my uncle, but I, I, I let, I let the church tell me, well, that, that's not holy. You shouldn't, you shouldn't go out there and dance. And that's one thing I do regret. I should have just gone out there and, you know, the church can go fly a kite. I'm going to go have fun and I'm going to celebrate with the rest of the family. I just felt like, you know, okay, I'm going to sit here and be a wallflower and Watch everybody yeah, else have fun, and it was kind of a tragedy. So sure, I encourage yeah. everybody out there to just, if you want to dance, get out there and dance. You bet. No matter what anybody else tells you. That's right. And you know, the way that ended up in that church, he saw that pastor went to a funeral, and he saw the three granddaughters of a man who was being buried dance to uh, lifts me up on eagle's wings Ooh, yeah. and he came back and he said i know what you're talking about now and he gave us the opportunity then and said okay and uh there were still church people like you say oh my goodness i had one guy who called me and and said oftentimes if it was in the bulletin that there would be a dance he would call me and say are you dancing this week and i'd say yes he'd go well i won't be at church i said okay Hope you have a nice day at Denny's having your over 55 breakfast or whatever you do it. But, you know, he just was adamant. And I had to, I, I didn't fight. And I didn't fight. This wasn't my battle. I wasn't going to fight with anybody. And uh, I wanted to honor how they felt. I wanted to honor, honor that this was the their right to have an opinion. And they saw it a certain way. And I saw it differently. And eventually we were dancing in that church hmm, three or four times a year. Not very often, but one of my, another favorite memory was when we did uh, Praise Him in the Dance. It's a lovely song. And there were four of us that did this dance. There were four ladies who sang it, a beautiful band behind it. And the, uh, there was a, the bridge, you know, the part there. They brought in an Irish fiddle player to pray, to uh, bridge it with uh, Lord of the Dance. Dance, dance, wherever you may be. I am the Lord of the dance, said he. And so my other friend who was on the team was also an Irish step dancer. So we put together some Irish footwork and we danced that bridge and in Irish. 
you see. And when we did the big turn around, there was a big praise around dance. We turned and those people were out of their chairs clapping and dancing. Mm. It was just amazing. And I thought, "Uh oh, are they coming up after us? No, they were just having a party. They loved it. And so my friends and I, yeah, yeah, that was, you know. That was a wonderful memory too. And to bring the to bring the people in with us. That's the thing about art. If our art is not bringing people in, if it's not engaging, if it's not helping others to move forward in, in some sort of self-discovery and more richness in their relationship with God, then for me, I I don't I don't see a point in doing my art. (laughs) That's just how I feel about it. It needs to be engaging. And that's true in the secular world, I think. Mm -hmm. But more so, I think, in in the uh, world of the sacred. Yes, in the artistic world, Mm. all of the arts, it's the same way. I think so. And competitive. And and that's nothing. I will never put up with competitive on my teams. I've been a secular dancer. I've been a competitor. I've been a performer. So that's hard. That's very, very hard. And it does not glorify God. It does not build up the body. And that is what we are here to do. If we're not doing that, then um, check, please. So do you have your medal with you? I have it tucked away somewhere in a drawer. Oh, no, I'm not going to show it. (laughs) I'm not going to show it to you because I don't know where the thing is. I've never seen a real medal before. Yeah, it's a gold medal. And it's, it's, and I, gosh, you know, uh, every now and then I I put the piece up at St. Patrick's Day that I wrote called Silver and Gold uh, about winning that gold medal and what it took to get there as a 50 something year old woman. And Mm. uh, oh my goodness, the stereotypical stuff and the giggling and the. Look at her, she's old. And walking off that gold. And um, I. The adjudicator said to me that the judge said something that I've always taught my dancers, and that is, she said, Do you know why you got the gold? And I said, No, I really didn't believe I deserved it either. And she said, Well, when all merits are equal and everybody's performing the techniques well, it's hard for a judge to make a decision on the gold. But she said, You know, when it all comes down and everything's equal, merit-wise, the medal goes to the one that will dance her heart. She said, the difference between the silver and gold is that some people do the dance and some people are the dance. Mm, and today, yes. you are the dance. And that, my friend, is the gold. That is <laughs> such a satisfying story. I love it. <laughs> Just awesome. So we've established that you don't have to have a perfect ballerina body type no. to enjoy dancing. No. Get out there and dance or dance, dance in your room, dance in your home, dance in the backyard. And we have a lot of fellow hurt people, survivors yes. of trauma. And so what is your best advice to those that have pain, such as the kind of pain that you have? How can dance help them to heal in their life? If that is an avenue that they choose for healing, I say, first of all, you know this as well as I do, any type of psychological, physical, um, emotional, spiritual wounds must be dealt with, I believe, with help. 
uh, support groups, as you and I have talked about. Uh, for, for me, it was counseling, to, mm-hmm. you know, uh, to see the reality because our reality skewed. Mine was skewed, let me say it that way. And to reach out for the help. And then if it is something that you feel you want to do, there are many different ways to do it. Prayer, of course, on your knees if you can. That's, that's a movement of, of healing. And I would just say, for me, all I can speak to is my experience, that when I have actually danced the Psalms, when I have danced the Lord's Prayer, mm. when I have danced El Shaddai, Lord of the Dance, the, the, the original Lord of the Dance, not, not the Lord of the Dance that we see on stage, although that's a wonderful production, but the story of it, it brought me so close to the source of my life that my wounds, I could own and walk forward and offer to him. Mm. And together we could dance it. I don't know if that's going to help everybody, but I know that's what he did with me. And, and I was 40 before I became really in my 40s, before I really became a dancer and taking me to Irish step dance that he did, which was amazing. It was amazing because those were the roots of the woman who had wounded me, my mom. And once I fell in love with that, I again fell in love with her. And today I can unequivocally say, I love that woman. Amazing. I love her so much. And my dad too, my dad too. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's, that's the route God chose. He may choose a different route for others, but for me, he chose the dance. That was part of who I was from the very get-go. Yes, that's that's such a beautiful piece of advice. I mean, my my healing journey um, is music. Yes, but the part of my podcast that's important to me is that I I present a lot of different kinds of tools because everybody is different. Mm-hmm. So that's why I was so attracted to your ministry is that that's another tool that I can offer my listeners. Yes. Hey, because everybody heals differently and there's so many different kinds of dance. And if that is something that touches people's hearts, they have a desire to do that then go for it. Yeah. Um, you have a podcast that you're going to start Tell us about that. Okay. Well, I even have a coach who's helping mm. me. Yay. Uh, yeah. And I've just made a real uh, committed decision. And I'll tell you what it is. And I'm just going to say this out, out loud and <laughs> be accountable to you. Okay. It's going to be called Living What You're Given, mm. which is also my blog. And it's about... There are several pieces to it, so I'm kind of honing it in. But, you know, I've always been a very eclectic little individual, and I still am a very eclectic little person. And I have so many things that I want to share with people about embracing our life, being able to own what has happened, heal what has hurt, walk fully into the giftedness that you have been given. And oh, yes, oh, yes, oh, yes. Everybody has been given gifts. I I don't care who you are. Um, God is the greatest creator, and we are in his image because he wants us to continue to create beauty, health, wholeness, and vision. 
And I think that we're going to go with that. And I, I'm very excited about talking to people about the beauty of aging. I'm 70 in June. I'm 70 in June. And I love every day. I've been very blessed with basically good health. I have a few issues and I always giggle and say, you know, at this, at 70, the warranty's up and the parts are now falling off. But that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> They're almost all replaceable, but um, I'm very, very blessed. And that's what I want. I have learned to live what I've been given. The good, the bad, the warts, the smooth places. Mm -hmm. And to use all those things to move forward, to help others to heal and accept themselves and find their gifts. So there's the very big thumbnail sketch of what that's going to look like. And I'm sure I'll be in touch with you because I love what you're doing. And I want to focus on people saying, my life's good and, and it's worth living and I don't need to compete and I don't need to compare and I don't need to be anything but what God is calling me to be and to walk into that. So we're hoping, we're hoping that it's going to work. <laughs> oh, it's going to work. We're going to help you. Anyway, anyway, I can help you out with your podcast. Oh, I think. will yeah. gladly, um, you know, if, if I know the answer, I'll <laughs> I'll give it to you. I might not well, know the you, answer, but <laughs> you already have in many ways. I, I've listened and I'm listening and I'm learning and learning from our, our friends in, in the podcasting circles who yes. are, have already broken a lot of trail. And so I'm trying to imitate. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a, a that's a great group. To <laughs> oh my, lot to learn. I have so much to learn, but I, we have a lot of help and a lot of different things you've already done. You've shown me, oh, that's how we do that. Okay. <laughs> Yes. I need to learn. So we'll see how it is. God's timing is perfect. I have an idea. I'd like to launch it on my 70th birthday. But if that doesn't happen, that's because his timing was different. And, and I'm, I've learned to wait and wait. So him. that is what date would that tentatively yeah. be? Well, tentatively, we're looking at June 9th. Yeah. Okay. And I'm, I was born in 1951, so I'm going to be 70 years old. Absolutely. Living what I'm given. Living yeah. what you're given. Now that sounds like an exciting podcast. Um, I hope so. It's I already have the domain and everything's there because it is my blog on my website too. So that's my brand is to live what I've been given, um, own what I am, mm. own, you know, what what is happening here and now and not looking back with regret and retro reaching for my youth and overstretching for the future and fearful that I'll not be enough. I'm I'm more than enough. So are you, Diana, by the way. The Lord says I am anyhow. <laughs> that's what that's the only voice we need. We just need to listen to the Lord's voice. Right. Um so you have your your tentative start date and mm -hmm. I'm starting a project with my music. I'm starting another album. It's a concept album for yeah. healing. So I Wonderful. just got the licensing for the cover songs that I've handpicked for my mm. album. And then I've been um, connecting with some other people on the, the Christian um, Podcasting Association on uh, other musicians that would like to write music with me. And so Wonderful. that's my project that's coming up. And um, I don't yeah. have a end date to it, but I'm definitely got it started. <laughs> that's right. And that's what I say. The date is not important because he'll supply all of that. Yeah. So how can the listeners connect with you right now and keep in touch? Yeah. 
Well, I have a website. It's called Laura, L-A-U-R-A-L, Paget, P-A-D-G-E-T-T dot com. And on there, um, you see my books and how to buy them. You see many pictures of dance. You see um, some press releases and um, also my contact information for my email and how people can connect with me. Also, I have my speaking topics there, which are always being refined. But the things that I have spoken about in the past, like why our stories matter and things like that. One of my other favorite ones is Poe Betty's Nerfect, because I'm a big proponent of dismissing <laughs> perfectionism at every corner. <laughs> Some days I don't even make my bed and nope. it's just fine. But um, that's in on my website is uh, probably the best way to connect with me through my um my email, which is on there. And also they can read the blog. And if you read a blog posting, then when you scroll down, there are the addresses for my, um, I don't know if I have my Instagram up there. I'm just now starting to get into that. I'm a little bit tech uh, behind technologically, but I'm working on it. But my Facebook page, my Facebook author page, um, and certainly any other way they want to get a hold of me. It's my hope to begin to put some videos up for dance. Because mm. I think that it's time to do that too. And I think we could do that on the blog. So um, maybe you and I can come up with something, original Ooh. music, and I'll yeah. dance it. And you and you sing it and write it. And, and then we collaborate as sisters in the Lord. Deal. Huh. All that right. Sounds great. You heard it here, folks, first. Yes. <laughs> we hold each other accountable for mm -hmm. our goals. Wow, this this has been so much fun. You are such a awesome storyteller. I loved reminiscing and talking about dance and you are a delightful person and I'm so glad to know you. God bless you. Thanks so much for being on the show. Thank you for being interested in having me and God bless all of your listeners and Diana, you and I going to stay in touch. Okay. Yes, absolutely. All right. Thank you for listening to the Wounds of the Faithful podcast. If this episode has been helpful to you, please hit the subscribe button and tell a friend. You can connect with us at dswministries.org, where you'll find our blog along with our Facebook, Twitter, and our YouTube channel links. Hope to see you next week. <laughs>